Hi, and welcome to the Above and Beyond podcast. My name is Joe Ambrose, and I'm the Senior School Improvement Leader for Greenshaw Learning Trust. Today on the podcast, we have Ndidi Okezi. Ndidi has got an OBE for services to young people, is the CEO of UK Youth, and is the host of the podcast, Go With Me On This. The interview was carried out by Robin Stewart, a Greenshaw colleague, who asked Ndidi about her route to leadership, the range of roles that she's experienced, why some people have leadership thrust upon them, the importance of humility in leadership, and the transferability of school leadership skills. But she started, as always, by telling us about her leadership journey to this point. I started my professional journey that I'm on now via the Teach First programme. So I was part of the Teach First cohort in, um, well, the inaugural cohort actually in 2003. Um, And, you know, obviously one of the things that Teach First talks about is that you are leaders from day one. So, you know, we were leaders of our children. We were leaders of our um, classrooms, you know, leaders of our schools. And so I would say that, you know, from the very beginning, that was something that was... um, that I think I was trained and kind of molded under. Again, one of the kind of traits of of being a teach firster, you know, possibly in terms of the schools we work in, but obviously also the maybe the mentality that we come into. I took on leadership responsibilities pretty early on as well. So I was um, I was an English teacher. So very soon, in fact, I think I think the April of my first year, like I had a, a, a responsibility within our English department. And then it just kind of went from there on and on and on to kind of, you know, head of year. I, I've done head of house. I've done head of Key Stage 4, like all of those things leading up onto school leadership. And then... I um, made the decision after 10 years to um, to think about working on more than one school. So I really wanted to understand how what we had achieved in um, my last school um, under, you know, a particular head who was just phenomenal. I, I just didn't really see why more schools couldn't do that. So I wanted to be in a role that would influence that. And so I went to work for Teach First and, and I was working on our kind of regional um, growth model um, and so, yeah, I was an executive director there for six years and um, then wanted to understand um, education from the business side. So went to Pearson, where who are obviously the education publishers and examination board, um, where I was uh, a leader there. I was in charge of the kind of secondary portfolio there. So I was vice president there and would have stayed there for a good few more years, was really interested in what that was teaching me, the kind of global leadership perspective. But then I saw this role and um, this was, you know, truly, I think, you know, a heart's calling in terms of the opportunity to work on um, the whole young person as opposed to just one lens of them from from the kind of education perspective. And so I stepped into a leadership role as CEO of UK Youth. I I think that, it's so interesting when you say kind of because I was going to ask you at the end of this of your um, answer about, um, you know, did you feel like a leader early on? If you say, you know, teach first, encourage you to be leaders and lead throughout not only in your classroom, but your school and, and grow as leaders quite early on. And did you feel like one? And I think you answered that when you said you, know, you took on a role quite early on in April. And mm. um, just as a bit of a side, was that something you pursued or something that was offered to you? No, I mean, it, the funny thing is that I've probably, outside of this 
role. Um, I don't think I've ever self-volunteered for a leadership role. It's always been somebody tapping me on the shoulder um, and saying, actually, you know, either can you do this, please help us, or um, you should think about doing this. And so, yeah, I definitely didn't, I definitely had no intention of kind of taking that on, but, you know, our department needed it. Like there was, you know, what, what are we going to do? Like we, we kind of, we need to split up the responsibility. And that was a very common theme um, in, especially in those kind of initial years before I was a kind of a formal leader where it was just roll your sleeves up. Stuff had to be done, you know, do it. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I didn't feel any different with that responsibility. It was just a different portfolio of, of work. It was, I think thinking about my kids, thinking about what I needed, the journey I need to take them on, I definitely felt like a leader there because again, that's what we were trained to do. But you recognised how critical your leadership were for these young lives. And so I think that responsibility hit quite early. And I, I would say that you know, it's, a, it's a, a pattern that you can recognise leaders in education yeah. really early on from my experience. So it's phenomenal that somebody recognised that in you early on and has obviously led to this phenomenal uh, leadership journey to, to where you are now. Um, so kind of thinking about all the, the different industries that you've worked in, um, you, you can pick one or pick your current um, sector if you like. Is, um, what do great leaders display? How can you recognise them or, or what traits have you found common between leaders in, in your industry? Honestly, it's so funny, Robin. Like, I think if you'd asked me this question in 2019, it would have been such a different answer to what, what I think now. And I think a lot of that is, you know, we've just been through a really, really uniquely challenging, you know, two years. And I think that so much of what I thought leadership was has been challenged. Um, you know, I walked into this role um probably more naive about what it means to be like the leader um than than I should have been maybe and I think obviously I I'd had executive senior leadership behind me so you kind of think well I've led people I've led pretty large teams in fact this is probably the smallest um team I've led in in quite a few years and so you know you kind of don't really expect the tsunami of responsibility that comes your way when there is no one above you to kind of turn to um and on top of that there's a global pandemic that you're dealing with <laughs> so I, you know I, I, yeah. yeah I haven't been able to divorce those two things from my last <laughs> my experience so I don't know how much is one versus the other but um I think the biggest learning that I have about leadership right now is is the humility required, right? Like, I think that um, there is so much that you couldn't possibly plan for, that the only thing you can hold on to is that you need to be authentically yourself through it. And the saddest, most difficult part of that is that doesn't mean everything is going to turn out okay, or it doesn't mean everybody is going to respond to you the way that you'd ideally want that none of those things mean everything's going to be smooth but my god if at the end of that or through that you cannot say I was authentically me then I think you'll be on your knees so there's something about knowing who you are enough to know that when the knocks come the thing you can hold on to is no no I with integrity can say I handled that as me 
I was me. I I I will I can look in the mirror um when it comes to that experience. And you know, all the decisions that leaders have had to make, particularly over the two years, have just been heart-wrenching in so many ways. And without that that anchor of knowing that you were able to be true to yourself, I I you know, I worry about um where many leaders will be. So yeah, there's something about doing the work to figure out who am I and and why am I doing this? What is that what is that why that centers me beyond the obvious? Because you're gonna need to dig into that more often than you probably expect to. Yeah. And I think especially for new leaders at, at yeah. this time is really difficult time having that had that opportunity and that time to work out who they are as a leader. Yeah. It would have been even more challenging. But I think that's possibly the, the nicest reflection in terms of a great leader's behavior mm. you know authenticity I think that yeah. is that sums it up really nicely um so thinking about kind of new leaders and especially leaders during this time and during times when when they were normal however long ago that was <laughs> um, <laughs> having been a leader from a very early age in your career early stage in your career what advice in terms of leadership would you give to um, every leader you knew what one piece of advice would you give them the one thing I wish I had not only known but that even if you told me I would have really listened to I'm that's the bit that I'm struggling to figure out like anyone listening to me now I wonder if you're really going to believe me when I say this <laughs> but I promise you if you can it will change your life um but it's just this notion that everybody else has it figured out <laughs> it's just nonsense like this idea that like you are one day I'll attain a mindset a state where I never have self-doubt I'm never questioning myself and oh my god all those people over there must have already got there and so you you are you are we're, we're like beating ourselves daily with this idea that like not only am I not good enough but everyone else is better and it's just nonsense because I promise you all those people you're looking at have the same doubts as confident as they appear as you know with it awesome you know they have the same doubts and so it's so sad to go through life recognizing oh my god I would have just given myself such a break if I had only known that you this person I was looking up to well, you know, equally head in hands, wondering how the hell you're going to make tomorrow work. So that's my my biggest message that you 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 honestly need to cut yourself a break. And it sounds so trite, but lean into learning. Like there is something about understanding that you're on a learning journey, and actually, that can't be a journey. And it can't be learning if you already knew everything and if you weren't going to fumble and you weren't going to fail. So it's, it's understanding those fumbles differently. It's the story we tell ourselves about the fumbles. That's the big game changer. And if we can tell ourselves a different story, then the experience of leadership, the experience of growing as a leader completely flips and it's just a, a, a so it's so less uh, um, a stressful kind of weighty thing because the judgment's just not there. Yeah, and I think that 
you know, we think about this all the time, like imposter syndrome is something everybody experiences. When you have that light bulb moment and you're like, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and tell me I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. And then you share that with another leader. They're like, oh, yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's all, Robin, it's like it's imposter syndrome to that. And it's also imposter syndrome in the sense that you you don't feel like you can fail because maybe you are you know the first woman in that position or the first person of color or the first you know whatever it might be or or the only and so there's a there is a sense of responsibility that you feel above and beyond just you as an individual that means that you feel like oh i actually can't i can't make a mistake because there are too many eyes on me and i think that's another type of imposter syndrome where the the weight of expectation is just more than one individual can can handle or should be expected to yeah there was um something i read about called the glass cliff obviously we've all heard about the glass ceiling but yeah mm-hmm. the glass cliff is where you know ge- generally women or um people from different um ethnic backgrounds are put in a position they're first in that position mm-hmm. and so everyone's kind of waiting for them to fail yes and there's got huge amounts of pressure and you find yeah. them quite often put in those positions and mm-hmm. all eyes on them. And it is literally like standing on a glass cliff, you know, 100%, 100%. On the precipice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the immense pressure on you to be successful because you've got people that want to come after you um, and follow your, um, your lead. So yeah, no, it is. Yeah. We are all only human at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. We make mistakes. It's okay. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And as long as we learn from them and others learn from them, I think that's the key thing as well. Yeah. But it's even, it's, it's so wonderful because like, we're we're educators or we're people who work with young people and (laughs) we would say that to young people and we mean it but we don't afford ourselves the same grace absolutely and we share our mistakes with the young people that we work with in order for them to learn from us yes and how often do we do that with other people that we work with especially aspiring leaders or leaders currently in 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 role um yeah really interesting reflection yeah i wonder how many people would listen to that advice yes you'd be like no no you're perfect you know exactly what you're doing you've totally got your thing going on um so in in terms of like the sectors that you've worked in that you started off beginning like lots of obviously you've worked in teaching you've worked in the private sector and now you work in in the in the charitable sector um obviously you know working in education it's it's, you know the leadership experiences are quite similar from you know the teachers and the leaders within um schools um but in in terms of what can people learn from those experiences as in terms of leadership in those experiences so what can school leaders learn from those experiences of leading um, non-school-based organizations i guess I think one of the things that was really important to me is, you know, I spent so much time within the kind of education bubble, as it were. And I would remember, um, you know, governors or board members or people saying, um, oh, you know, you're you're this, you're this, you're this. But you don't have this experience, but you don't have that. Oh, you know, and it was always this pitch against business. It was always this like, oh, my God, if only we could get business to come and like rescue us um, and, you know, give us this like clear mindset that we seem to be lacking. And it's just <laughs> this constant drumbeat of like um, the business gods needed to come in. So very early on, I was like, what is this business thing? 
happening? Like, what is what is happening in business that, you know, all of us who think we're, you know, pretty on it in terms of the things that we have to do, clearly don't have. And so it was really important for me to go into business because very quickly I was able to um, uh, disavow myself of that <laughs> and, um, you know, free that, myself of this idea that there was something missing or lacking and that's not to say there's not things to learn but it goes both ways and so I think there's something about just recognizing the value that your leadership actually can bring to other spaces it still baffles me when teachers and you know people who generally work in schools struggle to think about the transferability of their skills it's like what but, um, but we i think in a way we're kind of inculcated to think it only works in this setting but that's nonsense and so there's something about understanding the transferability of who you are and the things that you bring and seeing that show up in different environments that i think is very very rewarding um i i, I do think though that there are um um, it's interesting to think about how leaders have to respond to different pressures. Uh, understanding the role of um, uh, shareholders was 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 <laughs> different, and um, the kind of moral imperative wasn't necessarily the driver in the way that I would have wanted it to. And I had to learn to like not judge that. Like it was okay, that's fine. There's just a different stakeholder, and this is just what drives them. It's not better or worse. It just is. Um, I also think the global dimension was just game changing. And again, the ability to understand how something needs to be relevant for different contexts and different environments. And I think, again, that's just super um, beneficial for you as a leader to just kind of expand your horizons, challenge what you think is possible, challenge what you think um, you think is like the only way of doing things. I think that's also really beneficial um and and you know there's something about going from leading a task to leading young people to leading adults um or to be a leader of leaders i think that these are all very different facets of leadership that i think require different things and so you know ultimately by the by the time you come out of any of that what the biggest thing you learn is that you it's not one size fits all and the best leaders are the people with more kind of um, quivers in their kind of, you know, their their arrow box, whatever it is, um, who, you know, you can deploy different skills yeah. depending on what the situation calls for. Mm. That's, that's a thing. <laughs> and that is, you know, that's really powerful to not be like, well, no, uh, this is the only way I know how to lead people. Or this is the only way I know how to do anything. <laughs> and if it doesn't work for you, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I would say all of those things are things that I've, I've definitely been able to reflect on uh, over the past few years. And, and I think, you know, it's very true that teachers and educators are incredibly concerned about stepping outside of education and think that actually they couldn't do anything else. And so lots of people spend, and absolutely rightly so, if they love the profession, they want to stay in education, absolutely stay in education your whole life. But also, if you, if you were to write a list of the things that you do in a day and how mm. transferable those skills are, they are immensely so. Mm -mm. Um, I mean, my, my passion is the idea of kind of... Um, you know, mixing the, the the life cycle of a teacher up so that you do get to go out and you come in, you go out, you come in and you kind of mix things up because I think there's not only what you can, 
a hundred percent transferably bring to another sector but it but it is that joy of what you then could bring back into the education mm. sector and so if we can make that less of a binary choice in or mm. out type thing which you know the education system is very very bad at kind of giving the impression that like you know you're a traitor the moment you leave <laughs> And um, you know you're banished from from being part of us anymore. Um, uh, the, yeah, the more we can kind of blend those things, I just think the whole profession just becomes richer in terms of the variety that exists within it. Well, and that, and that's part of you know what we try and achieve here is like talking to people outside of education and what we can learn, and hopefully vice versa. Yeah, um, you know it's very much a two-way street, and lots of things we see in schools now we never used to see in schools because we've learned from other organisations. Yeah, um, and hopefully that's happening both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so in t- terms of thinking about um organisations and well, high-quality organisations, you've obviously worked for some pretty prestigious, high-quality organisations. Um, that have, have grown, especially Teach First, like being part of the inaugural group of Teach Firsters. And then now this is like an enormous organization. Um, how do you ensure they, they stay high quality so you keep that as they, as, as they expand? I mean, such a live <laughs> question for me right now. Um, but in terms of the past experience, um, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think there's something about, and, and I believe this now more that, I'm out of it. Like, I think for so many years in Teach First, people would always talk about the, fir- the fact that Teach First was a bit of a hybrid organisation. Like, it was a, it was in the charity sector, but it felt very businessy. And, um, and that might have a lot to do with Brett and the kind of McKinsey background. But, you know, he really valued the kind of um, soft culture stuff as well. And so um, I think we were this really interesting mix. And so because of that, you do attract a particular type of person who I think is quite business minded, but um, is very um, kind of, you know, um, mission led, as it were, and, and, you know, very interested in learning. And yeah, I just there was some and obviously the, the entrepreneurial part of it, I think, was really key as well. And you know, let, we cannot underestimate the impact of that entrepreneurial founder. Like, you know, Brett was 100% fuel behind the kind of the growth and the the, the ambition around that. Um, but yeah, I think there's something about, it, it literally is a live thing that I'm thinking about because I think there's something about what are those things you established from the very beginning and then how do you hold true to them in a very um intentional way and obviously all of the literature says you know it's all about induction how you in you know you invite the organization the experience they have it's all about those um intangibles around your culture um but covid has thrown a lot of that up in the air and so you're kind of now oh wait we would have done this and this and this in person but now what does that look like online and how do you now have a hybrid where not everyone comes in at the same time and so i think recognizing how you build culture um where there isn't a kind of homogenous experience for everybody i think is 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 a really interesting thing that i have not worked out at all i'm still figuring out um, but I think from a school's perspective as well, I, I do think that the best kind of schools I've been at really turn up the dial on a spirit of core and like, all of those things that like weave in between the kind of curriculum. Um, and I think that's 
it's the secret sauce. It's the thing that makes um, the people that you invite into your space. It's the thing that connects us all, but it's also the thing that hopefully um, sparks people and kind of keeps people, um, you know, kind of lightened, as it were, in terms of yeah. what they're doing. Because our work is just hard in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think you need to turn up the dial on some of that softer stuff that feels like nice to haves, but it's just not. Yeah, and that's a really nice way to think about it, especially when you think about, you know, do you give somebody a Bible of how this organization runs, which generally happens when you start a new job, you get all the policies and paperwork, <laughs> you get sat down and told everything that happens, whether that's face-to-face, -face, whether that's virtually, but actually that kind of, what's that thread that runs through that doesn't matter how big you are that that's that is maintained so your the culture of your organization is is what mm. people buy into don't they really they they don't tend to buy into your policies and practices and your rewards they buy into the culture and that's why they stay and they want it to be successful um so that's that's a that's a nice way to think about it actually um yeah how but what do you set that up as and how do you get people to buy in in the beginning yeah exactly um, yeah so it um school leaders going back to to schools again we obviously and all leaders um mm -hmm. have to make uh, many decisions and i think this time uh, you know through through covid and thinking about what to do each day with with young people and what provisions we made for them um to, to you know decisions like that down to you know smaller decisions um obviously we have to make decisions every day and how how do you approach decision making Oh, great question. Um, I think one, and again, some of these things sound so trite, so I really, like, forgive me, but I think one of the things that I've really leaned on, um, you know, especially over the last couple of years, but coming into this role more broadly and, yeah, definitely even at Pearson, was it's this question of um, what are we trying to achieve? Like, what's the what's the goal? What You know, I... I came into UK youth and my question is like what's the problem we're trying to solve like what what is it because for me the decisions then should then be built on their ability to get you to that place right so it's always from it's always about knowing the ultimate outcome you're looking for and then you've got something really tangible to hold the decision up against um and I think that's also really important for leaders because what you should then be able to do is if you are really clear on that north star on the goal that you're trying to get to and you've that's what you invest in as a leader with your people with your team with everybody that's kind of around that really bringing that to life trying to be super clear about that because then you hopefully can feel able to step away from the interim decisions and allow those closest to the matter to make the call because really the the what is what you determine the how let people figure that out for themselves and i think the reason why we often feel ourselves getting involved in the minutiae getting involved in detail is because we probably are unclear that everyone knows what the goal is and everyone is like, because that's what you hold people to account to. Like how you got there, you might choose a completely different rule. You might make a completely different decision to me, but we're getting where we want to get to, right? Like that's the thing that you need to be able to be able to hold others to account to and that's what the conversations are based around. And so that's actually the thing that I would spend more time on 
um, and and then really empower people as as low to the ground of the issue as possible to make the decision and make the call. That's really interesting, and I guess that distribution of kind of decision making is is the is an ultimate achievement of any organization as long as they're bringing it back to you know the goal of what they're trying to achieve but this kind of leads nicely onto my next question actually in terms of is everybody in the organization suitable for that and you know how do you go about developing people who maybe aren't in the position to make those right decisions and is there anyone who just doesn't have what it takes if you come across that I I, I love this question because I think it I think it boils down to what we think leadership is. Because again, remember, you're talking to somebody who, before any title was given, sat down and was told, you are a leader, you are a leader, like figure it out. You're really so for me, I never needed the title to confirm that. But that didn't mean I knew that didn't mean I knew everything or I understood everything, but my responsibility was clear and the fact that there were you know, lives and outcomes within my sphere of influence that I needed to be responsible for. So really the big thing that I had was like, figure it out. Like whatever it is that you're facing, figure it out because that's the barrier in your way to get to this outcome that you've set, which is obviously these outcomes for for your young people. So I don't, I think that particularly in schools I think we are very uncomfortable with distribution of power and schools are actually very hierarchical and I and I guess I would just challenge us to wonder whether actually is that does it have to be that way or is that just the way it's always been because this question of like you know is everybody suitable for it or whatever I mean people are grown adults they they live their lives they make decisions about their lives every day and also if you don't think somebody has the ability to make quality decisions they probably shouldn't be in your school because Mm -hmm. you can't manage them all the time and you are requiring on them to make you know really quality calls whatever scale or um you know the, the scale those decisions are so i think there's something about again disabusing ourselves of this idea that um, there's only type of people that can do, um, you know, that can make quality decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that's not the same thing as everybody being suited for um, line management, um, curriculum management, you know, um, setting your strategy for your school. These are that's not the same thing. But let's not confuse that with are people able to make decisions. It's, you know, some people just are not interested in that kind of work. They want to be in the front line. They want to be working with young people. Do not take your best teachers out of the classroom. Like that makes no sense for us to do that. But because we all buy into this notion that progression means stepping away from the classroom, um, we, we have now tied that into people's ability to kind of make, you know, decisions that affect lots and lots of people if that makes sense like the ability to make scalable decisions so yeah sorry i think you the answer to my question is your question is that i don't i don't buy into the premise that um only some people can make good decisions i think we need to um help people recognize that they are already making decisions and actually take a bit of a leap of faith on some things and let people get on with it when when but with the clarity of what the goal is um you know non non debatable really yeah and i i think that is important to remember that actually 
you know, the decision that they make, who does it directly impact? Is it them or is it the young people? Is it the organization more widely? And therefore, how, have you got the flexibility for them to run with that decision and get to the conclusion of it and learn from it? Or actually, have you got to say, well, no, that's the wrong decision. We need to go down this line instead. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that depends on your level within your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. If there are people in the school that maybe aren't doing what they should, then maybe there's there's other ways and other means to support them rather than just um, totally removing all ability for them to make any decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so final question for me is about routine, which is what drives most schools um, and most teachers' lives. Um, But obviously stepping out of of schools and in other organization. So how important is routine in your organization to make make it successful? Oh, it's so funny. I was literally just having this conversation with somebody earlier. Um, And I was talking to somebody and they were talking about um, how we misunderstand the need for process when no we we misprioritize the importance of process over the important of the importance of people and so it's like i was like oh god yes i think i've fallen into that trap because i'm very much like wait what's the rhythm of how we do things like i love a good cadence right like i'm just and i think that the teacher in me it's like you know the day works in a particular way and like i really like that and you know the year works in a particular way and i i've probably taken that mindset you know with me out of the out of the classroom as well um so you know one of the things that i um really love our organizations that you know we kick off every um week you know with a all staff all hands like you know um monday morning meeting and it's funny like you know there's people that will push back a bit against that and you know originally it was a very kind of tactical information sharing thing and i really wanted to make it feel much more of a you know a, a touch base thing you kind of um you know head and heart moment to kind of reset you know set the week and get people fired up and i really like that i like the routine of kind of kicking off your week connected to the people that you work with um and again this might just might sound like an all-staff meet monday morning meeting and maybe that's where it's come from but um so i really like that i you know there are regular rhythms in the week where i touch base with my senior team you know from a from a short hours call to like you know full kind of um you know full days meeting um these are just things that i think are really important and I, I that's the kind of the routines that i would put in like those touch points that you have that everything else should be built around as opposed to them needing to be crowbarred in like around the other stuff or the real work as some people might talk about it so yeah i would say i would anchor the routines more on opportunities to connect as people opportunities to connect back to your purpose and to your your why um and the one that we haven't quite got right yet but i'm also really interested in is the routine of reflection so being able to create the space for um you know meaningful ongoing reflection and um, we've just introduced actually a no meetings wednesday once a month um and i'm really trying to see how much we can lean into this idea of like doing deep work um you know where you're not kind of interrupted every other hour but you just get to really work on stuff and i think the reflection space that could be a really good opportunity to weave that in as well but yeah that's probably how i think about routines currently yeah and i guess that's the best way rather than a way of sort of 
checking up on people, making sure they're following a routine. It's a way of connecting people and bringing them together with a routine.